From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. Regret, the pervasive and often toxic emotional mess that most of us invariably experience, need not be so painful, says best-selling author Dan Pink. In fact, his new book, The Power of Regret, counsels readers to deliberately view regret as a process that can be examined in a way to help us all lead better lives. I'm Tom Ehrenfeld, your host for the WLEI podcast from the Lean Enterprise Institute. And today, we talk with Dan about how he came to this conclusion and we look at parallels between his approach to processing regret and Lean's mindful approach to framing problems for continuous improvement. Welcome to WLEI, the LAI podcast. I'm Tom Ehrenfeld, your host. And today we are highly privileged to have with us Dan Pink, who has a new book called The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Okay. Um, so you have previously written uh, books, best-selling books, such as When, The Secret, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, To Sell as Human, Drive, and A Whole New Mind. And as I think I mentioned to you, there, there's a very kind of ambitious effort to help people be more aware of kind of thinking about thinking. And you offer insights into ways to understand the process better and perhaps convert it to a more, I don't know, productive process. You say, don't think of regret, for example, as a thing, but as a process. And um, that's partly why I reached out to you from LAI, because I think there's areas of overlap between this lean approach and um, between the ways you tee up um, how people process regret. But please, why don't we start, can you give me a, a quick um, praises? Tell me what, you, what your basic argument is in The Power of Regret. So this is a book that looks at this very misunderstood emotion of regret, um, which is an emotion that makes us feel bad when we look backward and wish we had done things differently or done things a different way. Um, and what um, and what I'm arguing here, based on about 50 years of science, is that we've gotten this emotion wrong. Uh, we think that regret makes us weak when it can, done right, make us strong. We think that um, regret is um, sort of an oddity when, in fact, it's ubiquitous. So, what okay. 50 years of science tells us is that everybody has regrets. Everybody has. I mean, everybody has regrets. It's one of the most common emotions that human beings have, and if we treat it right. Uh, it's actually a transformative emotion. It can help us become better strategists. It can help us become better decision makers. It can help us become better negotiators. Uh, it can help us become better parents. Um, and so I'm trying to reclaim regret um, from the the grip of people who don't fully understand it and who have fallen prey to this incredibly empty-headed, positive, positive all the time, uh, never have any regret philosophy of life, which is not an effective blueprint for living. So in some ways, I almost feel like you buried the lead because you're not directly saying, I mean, one argument you make is no regrets is not a useful credo or um, approach to life. 
but rather uh, think about how you experience and process regret after it's happened. Um, it feels like the primary driver is to uh, develop a sort of mindfulness about how you oh. um, process because regret invariably occurs when there's a gap between something that happened in the past, whether it's action or inaction on your part, and what you want it to happen. And um, so I, I guess that's an open-ended question. There's parallels to lean here, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, I'm not sure. It's interesting. It's interesting that you call it you call it mindfulness because I don't think that word ever appears ever appears in the book. I mean, I my, mindfulness comes with a certain amount of freight, Tom, as you know. Yeah. Um, and so my view of it is sort of to to your to somewhat earlier point, which is this: is that you know, with negative emotions in general, and this negative emotion in particular, we often have these two sort of polar ways of dealing with it. One is to ignore it saying, nope, I, nope, never look backward. Nope, I'm not, I don't think about regret. Nope, move on, look forward, okay? You can ignore your, you can ignore regrets. I think that's a bad idea. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're losing capacity. I think you're losing capability. I know you're losing capability and capacity on that. The other side though is, is, is in some ways even worse, which is to be brought down entirely by regret, to be captured by it, to wallow in it. That's a bad idea too. So I don't want people to ignore regret and I don't want people to wallow in regret. I want people to think about it. You know, right, it's right. it's about it's about thinking. You know, to me, and, and you know, thinking and mindfulness are siblings or first cousins. But I, I want people to think about it. Don't you know? Don't approach your regret at use your regrets as signals, as information, as data. Um, and when you do that, the evidence is overwhelming that it can help us on a whole array of things. The problem is that no one ever teaches us how to do that. Okay. Well. Tell us, uh, give us the, the brief uh, kind of takeaways, uh, uh, which, uh, like, how do people do that? How do they use regrets? Yeah, well, so, 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 so again, when we process our regrets properly, it, it helps our decision-making skills. It helps our problem-solving skills. It helps our meaning-finding skills. So um, now, how do, how do we go about dealing with our retrospective regrets in a productive way? Um, I like to look at it as, as three parts, inward, outward, forward, inward, outward, forward, mm -hmm. inward. You have to reframe how you think about the regret in yourself. Um, a lot of times when we talk to ourselves, talk to ourselves in the face of missteps and screw-ups, we're brutal, we're cruel, we're vicious. Our, our self-talk is, is absurd. Um, so don't do that. Uh, instead, treat yourself with what's called self-compassion. Uh, self-compassion, which is the work of Kristen Neff, tells us that we should treat ourselves with kindness rather than contempt. Think about our screw-ups as part of the human condition, as moments in our life, rather than the full definition of our life. So that's inward, outward. Um, there's a lot. There's a there's a strong argument to be made for disclosure, disclosing our regrets. One of the things that I found in my research is is, is how willing people were to talk about their regrets. <laughs> yep. Because when we disclose our regrets, it's an unburdening. What's more, when we talk about our regrets, when we write about our regrets, we convert this blobby negative abstraction into concrete words which are less fearsome and begins the sense-making process. So that's outward. And then forward, this is really important. And, and I actually think it connects to, I think it connects to sort of the, the aspect of lean that is, that is continuous improvement, uh, which is how do you, um, you gotta draw a lesson from it. That is simply being, treating yourself with kindness rather than contempt is great. Disclosing it to make sense of it is great, but you gotta then move to the final thing and draw a lesson from it. And, right. We tend to be pretty bad at 
at solving our own problems and, and decent at solving other people's problems. So you want to do a little self distancing. So talk to yourself in the third person. Um, use uh, Andy Grove's famous technique of what would what, what would if my if I was replaced today, what would my successor do? Um, even things like some kind of the, the sort of time travel that underlies regret. Think about what the, the you of 2032 is going to care about. And so that approach, you know, it's about thinking. All right. It's about thinking. It's not about ignoring our regrets. It's not about feeling our regrets. It's about thinking about what they tell us. Kindness rather than contempt, disclose to make sense, draw a lesson from it. And when we do that, it becomes more habitual. And when we start doing that, we actually start improving our performance. And the dirty little secret is that we reduce our subsequent regrets. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So here's where I want to introduce some um, aspects of lean thinking uh, yeah. and, and Kaizen. I think one of the powerful takeaways for me of lean is that it frames problems as gaps, no more, no less. Okay. It just says it's a gap between a current state where you are and intended state. So mm -hmm. uh, it takes a very pragmatic approach to it and um, has all these kind of formal methods and tools for examining that gap and uh, kind of breaking it down and getting to root cause of what's causing the, you know, defects or the reasons you're not achieving it, and um, becomes a resolution of those causes so that you make your current state closer to your future state, and it's continuous improvement because as you get there, you <laughs> slip up and you continue to have this tension. And um, so it's 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 kind of like regret, but without, but in a more pragmatic approach, yeah. without uh, any kind of flagellation. And it even draws from Deming. It says the problem is not the people; it's the system. It says the system is what's causing the gaps, and so you have to examine what is what is producing them. Um, and I think that's one reason why I'm kind of saying, well, uh, how does it work as a mechanism for reducing regret moving forward? Um, and there's a question at the end of this. <laughs> if, if, if only to be like Chris Farley and say, well, do you remember? <laughs> it's like, what, what do you make of, of that um, take? Well, I mean, there are like for like four different questions bundled. They're, they're bundled in there. Um, so let me try to unbundle and, and address each one. I, I think your point about the gap is really quite fascinating um, because you talk about with lean the gap being the gap between the current state and the intended state. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I think that's analogous to regret. Um, in, in, a, in, in a way, what regret is is it's a comparison of the current state and the potential state in a way. Right. Right. Uh, what could have what could have what, what, what could have been so that's kind of um, uh, so that, that's kind of interesting and I, and I guess it's like what do you do what do you do with that gap and the thing is is that the whole proposition of lean and Kaizen is you, you using that gap as an opportunity for learning um, and and I think that's the problem we don't have that's the problem we have with regret we don't look at it that way so as you know from reading the book I got these people in my book who have these you know who, who believe in this credo of no regret so ferociously that they get tattoos with it. Um, and so, which is, which is, you know, disturbing in a way, 
because no one would have a tattoo. What you're saying, if you have if a tattoo that says no regrets, is you have, no one would get a tattoo that says no learning, no growth, no improvement. And in a sense, that's essentially what they're uh, that's essentially what they're that's essentially what they're doing. Right. Um, so I think that the gap is a is a really quite fascinating point. Now you make another interesting point on the system, um, which is that and and this is this goes to how we think about certain kinds of regrets. And let me let me tell you about. It. So I, as you know from the book, I. Uh, collected regrets from a, a huge number of people all over the world. We're now over 20,000 regrets from people in 109 countries. And one of the most common regrets that people had was what I like to call a foundation regret. And a foundation mm -hmm. regret sounds like this, if only I'd done the work. These are people who regret um, um, spending too much and saving too little, big regret. People who regret not taking care of their health, people who regret not working hard enough in school. Now. That's a tricky one because some of these regrets that people have are the whole notion of regret. The whole point of regret is that regret requires some agency. You can't regret something that you don't have agency over. That's why regret is different from disappointment. And so there's an interesting kind of metaphysical question about how much agency do we have in different realms of our life. And so back to these foundation regrets, if I hear from somebody who says, I'm 38 years old and I've never been able to save a dime. Um, I need to know more before I can fully acknowledge that that is a regret. If this person says, if I learn that this person um, has been working for 15 years at a very highly paid job and has no other obligations, I'm like, yeah, okay, you should regret that because that's, that's on you. But if I hear that this person is the first in her family to go to college, she graduated with $250,000 of student loans. She's supporting her family on this salary. Then, then I'd say, you know what? That's a system issue. And so, right. Right. you know, and, and so I think that, but I, I think that's one of the things that I like about this emotion of regret is that it's very clarifying. It, it clarifies, it, it goes, it, it helps us examine those fundamental issues, which is how much is the individual and how much is the context? And that is, I think, the central question of human behavior, not to mention human behavior in organizations. And I think it gets to this issue uh, that I was maybe trying to say, which is everything comes down to how you reckon with this gap, you know, in the present or even moving forward between what you have and what you might have had and what questions you ask. And you can choose to beat yourself up. You can choose to right. kind of ignore it, whitewash it. Right. Or you can take a more structured, methodical approach to um, examining why, why, why do I have this gap? Why do I have this thing that doesn't align with my goals and my values? And, and how can I resolve that and make it better? And um, I, to be honest, it's one of the things that I find very exciting about Lean is that it done when done properly it includes it endows agency among people who are doing the work with a way of understanding okay, yeah yeah that's why there's such an emphasis on on um standard work at toyota and elsewhere because standard work represents the best known way of getting something done and some people think that it's um kind of controlling and limiting, but it's it done right. It really represents the best known way. And it is always subject to improvement um, when a new way is discovered. And 
it kind of triggers um, an opportunity for learning when things don't, when the standard work doesn't work, there's gotta be a reason why. So it's because it's, it's insufficient um, or there's improvements that can be made. Yeah. And so I guess my, my point is that it just feels to me like a key part of this, let's call it mindful or um, way of approaching problems when they occur, when they have occurred, is to have some sort of way to make sense of them that helps you explore ways to make it better um, in a kind of non-judgmental, non-blaming yeah. way. Yeah, um, yeah. And, it, you know, I think the book is great. I, th I think that it, one of the things is it offers ways for people to reckon with um, some of the toxic emotions that come with regret. Um, it, it, it gives people permission to say, uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've had these foundational regrets or so forth, but it, it, it kind of gives permission to move forward and and um from where they are in in the present i think um so yeah yeah i mean i i i generally i generally agree i mean i think it's a very interesting point I, there is a there is a degree of there is a degree of permission <laughs> that you that people have to have and this is this is something i've noticed since the book has come out and since i've started talking about this stuff is that this is a topic that people really 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 want to talk about this is a topic that has a the 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 veil of silence is a very thin veil. It's easily pierced, and um and that and that and I, and I noticed this right away when I. It's in fact one of the things that got me onto this topic was that when I I noticed when I first became intrigued by this idea before I was even contemplating writing a book about it, I found that when I mentioned regret to people, they leaned in in ways that they didn't for other kinds of topics. That is simply saying the R word out loud and sharing one of one of my own regrets seemed to open the floodgates of people right. who wanted to share their own regrets and, and make sense of it. And I think that I think that that degree of permission is actually really important. And once we have permission, we can begin some of the sense making process. And I think when you have permission, you actually destigmatize it. So right. if you look right. at so if you look at and you avoid that blame. And so if you look at it like if you look at it as a signal, as information, as data, as I said before, then it can be incredibly that then it can be incredibly productive. I do think that we have to give people this the the beyond permission, we have to give people the the tools to allow them to treat themselves with the same degree of kindness that they would treat somebody else. Cause I don't think we always do that for ourselves. Absolutely. And that's one of the what's one of the suggestions, um, self-care, self-compassion, I I believe. Um What's interesting is reconciling this book with some of the other ones you've written because um, uh, <clears throat> you've been more, uh, I don't, I don't want to give sloppy labels. Your previous books have been um, kind of proactively aspirational, kind of helping people understand how to sell, how to capture the whole mind, think about what motivates us. And they're in, in, you know, to me, they're about moving forward in better ways. And I know that's part of the regret promise, but uh, my experience of reading it is that it's largely 
focused with processing activities that have happened in the past. So how important is the kind of processing of the past um, in being able to move forward in a way that you, you really want to um, achieve, that you aspire to? I think it's, I mean, I think it's essential. I mean, the whole the subtitle of the book is how looking backward moves us forward. Right. I don't I don't consider look I don't consider sort of retrospective thinking and prospective thinking at odds with each other. I think that they're actually tightly integrated because when we look back, I mean, it, when we look back, we say, OK, what did I do right? What did I do? What did I do wrong? Uh, if we have the things that we did wrong, we we don't beat ourselves up over it. Uh, we extract lessons from it and that powers us to move forward. Right. 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 No. And, and there's this kind of power of um, humble humility um, in terms of positioning one to act in a more, I guess, aligned way to uh, do it more purposefully. And um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's not I mean, here's the thing. It's like like like, uh, you know, as I coming back again. It's like we can. It's it's actually even simpler than that. I don't even know if it requires so much humility as it requires just simply thinking, um, so that you know, we're 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 we've been sort of sold a bill of goods that we should never look backward, that right. that that we should always look forward, and that's ridiculous. Um, I mean, we're having you know we're looking looking backward, thinking about what we've done, uh, excavating our successes and failures is incredibly instructive. Uh, and so, so we sh so we should we should we should look backward, but we should look backward with a keen, sharp sense. We shouldn't we shouldn't say no. I never look backward. That's ridiculous. That's I think that's 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 unhealthy. Uh, and I think that it goes against um, the whole purpose of this emotion. Uh, at the same time, you know, because we haven't been taught very well how to deal with negative emotions, a lot of times people get debilitated by it, by any kind of negative emotion, including this negative emotion. Uh, of regret. That's bad too. What we should be doing is if we should be we should be thinking about these things. You know, there's a puzzle here. Re regret makes us feel bad. Regret regret does not feel good. This is the problem that people have with it. It doesn't feel good. It causes us to be uncomfortable. But we have a pile of evidence showing that regret clarifies what we care about and right. instructs us to do better, right? It's powerful and transformative. It clarifies what we care about and it instructs us to do to do better. Here's the thing though. People want the clarification and they want the instruction. They don't want the discomfort. And I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You got to have both. And so if we if we actually are more thoughtful about the discomfort and say, wait a second, I'm experiencing discomfort. What is this telling me? What is this signal revealing? Then we can, then it then it can be useful. But I think what happens too often is that we feel uncomfortable and we immediately want to try to switch it off because we don't like discomfort or we're, we're we're so unaccustomed to dealing with discomfort that it becomes overwhelming. And what I want is people to think about it. Right, right. And I think what I'm getting at is, is I'm trying to, you know, again, to try to bludgeon this into a lean framework. It, it one of the um, dynamic things I love about lean is that it has these very prescribed methods for um, realizing ideal states. Um, you never get there, but it's these system-wide habits of thinking. And I've resisted when people say it's a different way of thinking. Um, mm. And I, I've started to accept that. Um, 
and it's a do you believe there are more methods available to people uh, for readers of the book to adopt in the present that are kind of regret minimizing framework Absolutely. as they move forward? So Absolutely. There's no question. There's no, there's, there, there's no question about it because here's the thing based on. So, so, so I, I, I hinted at this, but I, you know, I've collected, 20,000 regrets from now from people in 109 countries. Around the world, people regret the same four things. I talked about these foundation regrets where people regret not doing the work. There are also regrets about boldness, if only I'd taken the chance. These are people who regret not traveling, not um, speaking up, not asking people out on dates, not starting businesses. There are moral regrets, uh, if only I'd done the right thing. People right. regret bullying, they regret marital infidelity, those sorts of things. And then there are also connection regrets, if only I'd reached out. And these are regrets about the full spectrum of relationships in our lives, especially when those relationships come apart. And, um, and over and over again, that's what people regret. And so when we, when we make our decisions now prospectively, when we're right. trying to figure out what to do next, um, it's pretty clear that, I mean, I think I can make a pretty safe bet at an individual level what you and I and most of our fellow human beings are going to care about in 10 years. You and I are not going to care about whether we bought a blue car or a gray car in 10 years. We're just not. You and I are not going to care about whether, what we had for dinner tonight uh, in 10 years. What we are going to care about are these four things. Did we do the work to build a found, stable foundation for ourselves and the people we care about? Did we take the appropriate, did we take sensible risk? Did we act? Did we do stuff in our limited time here on this planet? Did we do the right thing? And did we connect with to people we love? Period. End of that, that's it. And so, so that's that. This, this is part of the clarification that regret offers us. That if we understand what people regret the most, we understand what they value the most. And and most of us are fairly similar. Most of us value roughly the same things. And hmm. knowing what we knowing what we're going to regret allows us to minimize those regrets in the future. And how does this process expand? within groups. So if we were try to conceive of this within the context of um, a workplace with teams trying to achieve stuff, um, are there operational kind of analogies to it? And again, I'm my thinking is informed by lean practice, which has uh, which places a lot of emphasis on um, articulating uh, goals and establishing yep. benchmarks and KPIs and trying to understand why uh, expected KPIs like aren't happening, doing a root cause analysis. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I in, you know, I intentionally wrote this book from the unit at the, at, with the unit of one as the analysis. And so I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't write a lot about organizations now. He, um, so I'm loath to say, oh, there are, you know, these certain organizational steps that people can, can carry out in order to, minimize their future organizational regrets. That said, I do think that if we know what people regret the most, yep. uh, we know what they value the most. Um, it seems around the world people value these four things most, that, that the, the constituent elements of a good life are you know, fairness, boldness, morality, and connection. And if that's the case, if those are the elements of a good life, then why would they not be the elements of the part of our life that we're spending at work? Right. Um, and so I do think that you can make a strong argument that these are the core components of a coherent, effective corporate culture, a corporate culture in which people can be their best selves, can do their best work and be their best selves. 
um, and you know, and at some level can can do their best work because they can be their best selves. Now, when you get to the granular issue of you know goal setting and KPIs, I mean, I I don't have much I don't have much to say about that in this context. Right, and I right, and I think the kind of missing link is um, again this kind of not just permission to have gaps, but uh, 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 leaning into the gaps and creating them yeah. consciously as a means of yes. being driven forward. And, right. um, you know, I kind of hate the debate about the value of failure because yeah, yeah, I find yeah. that people always say, oh yeah, fail, fail often. And it's like, no, it's not about failing per se. It's about having a mindset where you're willing to learn from it. And you don't have to fail to do that. You, you have to be willing to take risks and willing to have the risks not pay off. Um, but to me, the kind of um, amplification of this, this mindset from one to many has to do with creating kind of mechanisms to build awareness and um, of how you're achieving the goals that you've set out to do, to achieve, and what are the kind of barriers uh, that prevent them and finding ways to resolve those uh, uh, barriers at, uh, at the root, which to me is about organizational learning, so. But I know, I think that, I think that you have the same kind of like organizational root cause finding when you, when you excavate one's regrets. So okay. if you think about something like, like, like um, if you think about, so one of the ideas in the book that I like is the failure resume, where you list all your failures, your screw ups, your mistakes in one column. Then in the next column, you list what lesson you learned. And in the third column, you list what you're going to do about it. And, I, and, and having done this myself in the second column, the lesson that I learned in some cases with some of my mistakes, there wasn't a lesson. Okay. That is yeah. based on the decision that I, based on the information I had at that moment, it was actually a pretty sound decision. The outcome wasn't great. But that's different from making a, there's a big difference between having a bad outcome and making a bad decision. And, and so, and, and so that kind of going to the, going to the root cause, going to the, the, the decision itself can be extremely, extremely useful. And this exercise of the failure resume is in some ways freeing for people because they realize it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Tom, we, that we, 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 it starts getting us to figure out what do we have agency over? What is circumstance and context? Right. And it becomes uh, part of this habitual process, which, as you probably know the word, having lived in Japan, um, Hansei, reflection. Um, as a yeah. I mean, it's all, all the we're circling around the same kind of concepts. Hansei, mindfulness, thinking, you know, it's all that's that's essentially that's essentially what it is. And it's not and I think it actually goes to the to, to the to the almost the interplay between emotion and cognition that to me like we have this question i write about this it's like what are what are feelings especially negative feelings for um and so there's this view out there that negative feelings are for ignoring that they're not real that we should always be positive norman vincent peel the father of positive thinking said that we should banish the very word regret from our vocabulary when in fact regret is a is part of our cognitive machinery it's ludicrous all right um and so um so we think that that negative feel, that 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 these emotions are for especially negative emotions are for ignoring. Others are like sort of uh, feelings are for feelings. That feelings are itself a, a form of truth. That feelings are the only received right. wisdom, and that's nonsense too. I think that feeling is for thinking. 
that when we, when we experience the spear of negative emotions, we have to look at them, as I've said many times now, they have to look at them as signals, as information, as data, as the world trying to tell us something. And we shouldn't get brought down, we shouldn't get brought down by that um, once we begin to develop these habits any more than if I look at the temperature outside in Washington, D.C., and I check my phone and say, oh, what's the temperature outside today in Washington, D.C.? And the temperature turns out it's a very cold day here in the nation's capital. It is, I can tell you, it is. Um, it's a very cold day here in the nation's capital. It is four degrees Celsius here in the nation's capital. And I can say, oh, my God, that's the worst <laughs> thing in the world. I can't, you know, I can be completely brought down by that. Or I can say, oh, it doesn't matter that it's cold outside. I'm going to go out without a jacket anyway. We can say, oh, it's four degrees. All right. Let me think about what it means that it's four degrees Celsius outside in Washington, D.C. today. You know, the, the again, I think I cited it before, but the, there's the just great um, Edward Stemming line about don't blame the individual, blame the system. And it, right. it's a way of kind of mitigating this very almost toxic aspect of blame and and uh, converting it into something more pragmatic. I mean, and I think that's a nice thing about your book is finding a way to be pragmatic about something that happens and um, having an effective method for reckoning with it and correcting, you know, adjusting for it moving forward. So, um, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, again, like, like, I think that the, the interesting thing about, I mean, blame is a, blame is a very interesting, blame is a very interesting word because with regret, there is some blame, but the blame shouldn't be debilitating. That is, that is, well, maybe, maybe blame is too hard of a word. There is some responsibility. There are certain things where people regret it because they screwed up and it's their mistake and it's on them. And you have to actually look that in the eye and say, yeah, that was me. That's on me. That's my mistake. Um, but people make mistakes. I'm going to disclose it. I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to learn from it. Right, 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 right. Okay. Um, I think that's I'm 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 happy there if you want to wrap it up. Um, did I whatever did I, good for you? You know your you know your listeners better than I. Uh, well, I don't think I missed anything. Uh, let's remind our listeners that we're talking with Mr. Pink. The book is The Power of Regret: How Looking Backwards Moves Us Forward. Um, it's a really well done, kind of smart, funny book that uh, will help you address this this part of your life that that you know is actually useful. <laughs> and and it's about it's about. But I'm I, it's a, you make a great point. It's about seeing the gaps in your life mm -hmm. and not being not ignoring them and not being brought down by them, but using them as lessons. Thank you, Dan Pink. Thanks. It's great. Thank you, Tom. Huge thanks to Dan Pink for joining us on this episode of WLAI, the podcast of the Lean Enterprise Institute. Thanks as well to producer John Cotter and to partner Matt Savis from LAI. And above all, thanks to you for listening. Please share any comments and questions with us at pod, P-O-D, at lean.org.